I mean, we try to make this as painless as possible for you. The bottom line is it allows you to keep practicing medicine. That's our goal for you for successful monitoring. Hello, and welcome to Integrity Through Compliance, AMI's business success series. This podcast was created by seasoned compliance experts at Affiliated Monitors who will provide their observations on industry trends geared to raise your awareness and to protect your brand. So grab a cup of coffee and join us as we guide you to integrity through compliance. Welcome to this edition of Affiliated Monitors podcast, Integrity Through Compliance. My name is Deanne Conroy. And together with my teammate, Val Peek, Hi. we're going to answer some frequently asked questions by professionals who find themselves under either a state professional board order or a federal integrity agreement. Let me start by saying that um, Affiliated Monitors, Inc., which we call AMI, has been in the monitoring business for 18 years. We were founded on the principles of integrity and independence. We do work in 42 of the 50 states currently in order to provide independent monitoring for the professional and to provide detailed reports back to the board or agency. Okay, let's get started answering some questions. Our first question today is, why does it seem like my state medical board has so much power over me and my practice? This whole process has been so frustrating. Well, first of all, don't feel like you're alone. The process is confusing and lengthy and sometimes frightening for all those professionals who find themselves in trouble with the board. Nobody ever wants to find themselves in that situation. And the process is set up so that it is hard to deal uh, your way through it. So we're here to help you with that. You're right when you say the state professional boards have a lot of power over the professionals who want to practice medicine in their state. Um, let me give you some background. The board members are volunteer practitioners appointed by the governor in most states uh, and in the U.S. territories and in D.C. The members usually serve a term of two to four years, and these are just volunteers in your profession, people who want to give back to their profession. After all, it's certainly more desirable for you to have a fellow medical professional have power over your license rather than some politician who knows nothing about treating patients, right? There are also uh, voluntary appointed public members who serve on the boards. By statute, a board has three main functions that it must perform, okay? One is licensing, two is regulation, and three is discipline. Now, for licensing, each state is different and decides the qualifications for having a license in that state. But the board has the final say on who gets licensed and who can practice in that state. For regulation purposes, it's the board who decides the governing policies, procedures, and rules for each healthcare profession. It writes those rules and regulations that the licensee must abide by. Third is discipline. 
And this is where the state medical boards spend most of their time. So you can see why the boards have so much power and control over your license. How does the board even know how to investigate someone in the first place? Well, there are mandatory reporters, right, of certain actions, and there's also self-reporting mandates to the board. Um, But most of the discipline matters originate by a patient filing a complaint with the board. Receiving, reviewing, and investigating these complaints is part of the board's statutory responsibility. In other words, boards have a legal obligation to hand out discipline to its professional members when a policy, rule, or procedure has been disregarded and the physician is acting beneath the accepted standard of care. Each state's board uh, must investigate a complaint that comes in. It doesn't have any choice. It has to do an investigation. But not all complaints are created equal. Okay, The investigative process is also different in each state. So having said that, most complaints are not found to be of the level for discipline. For example, most complaints concerning billing disputes with patients are dismissed. Dismissed complaints are not available to the public. A board could issue a private letter of concern to the practitioner when it feels there was only a minor violation but it still wants a physician to be aware of it so he or she can take steps so the situation doesn't happen again. After an investigation by the board staff, the facts will be presented to the board members and they will discuss it. This portion of the board meeting is held privately unless and until the board decides on a specific action to take that will make it public knowledge. If the board finds that you have violated a statute, rule, or regulation, and it applies discipline, then that board order is made public on the board's website. It's also going to be part of your physician profile when you do your licensing. So that means any patient or potential patient that looks you up, that's going to be on your physician profile. Uh, It's also made public by being shared with other boards and your board order is also sent to the Federation of State Medical Boards, the FSMB, and to the National Practitioner Data Bank, NPDB. So you're right, it is a big deal to be publicly disciplined by the board, and it has ramifications towards your reputation, the way you practice, and your financial bottom line. Our next question is, How often does the board issue public discipline? Okay, here's some good news. There's approximately 50,000 physician complaints filed across the United States in a year. Okay, 50,000 in a year. The state medical boards have only taken public discipline against 7,112 physicians in 2020. So in 2020, that means... 7,112 got public discipline against their license out of the 50,000. So that's about a one in seven chance that a complaint against you will end up as board-issued discipline. Okay, so may the odds be ever in your favor. (laughs) (laughs) What is the most common reason for a physician to get into trouble with the board? 
Certainly overall, the poor communication with the patient and lack of documentation in the patient file are the two most common reasons that physicians get into trouble. Okay, and this is one of the reasons why medical schools now teach communication courses as a core competency. Doctors need the ability to communicate effectively. Training is in basic communication, counseling skills, you're taught the patient interview technique, okay? And it's also why you heard in medical school, document, 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 right? And the old adage, if you didn't document it, it didn't happen. And we see this come up all the time. So a lot of times what we hear are doctors that say, but this person's been my patient for several years now, and I know what's going on. Maybe I didn't write it down on that piece of paper, but I know what I'm doing, and I'm doing the right thing. So why should I get in trouble with the board? Well, I want you to start thinking about it like this. The board's investigation is only going to be based on paperwork. It's going to be based on what is written down in your patient file. So if you don't write down everything that you're considering or that you're talking to the patient about, then there's no way for the board to know that you did it. So the way they look at it is if you didn't document it, it didn't happen. So um, I I just ask everybody to keep that in mind because that for sure will help you not get into trouble if you're if you have good communication with your patient and you're documenting it as well as you're communicating it. Are there trends in the kinds of complaints that come before the board? Oh sure. Certainly in the last 10 years the leader has been opioid overprescribing. The CDC reports that in the last 20 years over a million people have died in the US from the opioid epidemic. Every government agency, legislators, and state medical boards have cracked down on doctors who overprescribe opioids. There has been discipline for multiple violations of overprescribing controlled substances, like prescribing for oneself, can't do that. Or family. Or family, right. Uh, Prescribing for non-patients, no. Prescribing without an indication for opioids, you have to not only have an indication for opioids, you have to document that indication. Um, They get in trouble for prescribing without addressing the patient's problem of addiction and for having inadequate records. In addition to the healthcare boards addressing the overprescription of opioids, pill mill operations and fraud have been handled by charging practitioners in criminal cases. Just this week, at the United States Supreme Court level, the Supreme Court heard arguments about when doctors can be charged criminally for their actions. Um, Doctors have gone and continue to go to prison, and that's about as serious as you can get. I will tell you recently, A poll was done of state medical boards regarding discipline concerning COVID-19 treatment. Two-thirds of medical boards have seen complaints continue to increase, and 21% of those boards have disciplined practitioners for dissemination of false or misleading information concerning COVID-19. Practitioners would like for you to answer, 
What is monitoring anyway? If your license is put on probation, the best way to correct your non-compliance with the rules, regulations, and statutes regarding the practice of medicine is through monitoring. Uh, Affiliated Monitors has protected the career and reputation of licensed professionals for over 18 years now. Before monitoring was introduced, many professionals faced large punitive fines and suspension or revocation of their licenses, even for relatively minor violations, because the board had no way of knowing if you'd actually done the changes that they wanted you to do or not. So it was safer for them to just suspend your license and then have you go through all this testing to get your license back. So monitoring is certainly preferred over that. And it it's an innovative approach, but it's not just that. It also helps practitioners improve their understanding of state and federal regulatory requirements in order to facilitate ongoing compliance and that enhanced quality of service to their patients. Okay, let me give you an example of how this works. Let's say you're a general practitioner and you got put on probation for poor communication and poor documentation. Okay, the board finds you did not meet the standard of care for your practice. Okay, they will order you to obtain monitoring. And that's where affiliated monitors comes in. We will locate and provide a physician monitor from your own state who works in the same or similar specialty. The board order will outline specifically what types of issues they want the monitor to address and how many patient files to review. Most of the time, practitioners are put on quarterly reviews. And that means every three months, the monitor will review the number of patient files that was ordered by the board. It's often between 10 and 25 files. AMI will randomly select which patient files will be reviewed. The monitor then reviews them, utilizing a questionnaire that was written by AMI for guidance. That completed questionnaire comes to AMI, and we draft a detailed report for the board to review at their meetings. The monitor and practitioner develop a relationship where questions and concerns can be addressed. I'll also tell you that as well as the board receiving a copy of that report, the practitioner also receives a copy except, major exception, the state of California. You don't get a copy of your report in California. You only get the recommendations. Okay? Don't ask me why. But all the other states, you're going to get a copy of that report so you know exactly what's going to the board. Okay, when you follow the physician monitors and AMI's recommendations, each quarterly report will show the necessary improvement. The goal is by the end of the probationary period, the board is going to be so pleased with your progress. It will show that you have successfully completed the probationary terms and allows you to get an unencumbered license again. Oh, here's a good question. The complaint against me was filed from a patient that said I had not fully explained the options about treating their condition. Why did the board go ahead and also nick me for poor documentation? Oh, that is a good question. We get this one a lot. Okay. The board's investigation is not limited to the original reason of the complaint. Okay. Whatever the investigation reveals that 
shows noncompliance is available to the board to address. Okay, I like to give people this example. Let's say that the cops were called to your house on a loud music complaint. The cops knock on your door, you open the door, and in plain sight is a dead body lying in the entryway. Okay, it's not a valid argument to say, oh, but the original complaint was just about my loud music. The cops shouldn't have the right to address the dead body situation. (laughs) So we know it doesn't work that way in the real world. And so similar situation here. The complaint is the reason that the investigation is started. But if the investigators find other problems with your practice, it's all fair game for the board to address. I got in trouble for billing irregularities. Can AMI help with that? Sure. I did say earlier that most uh, patient disputes with billing are dismissed complaints. But there are all kinds of other billing irregularities that do catch the attention of the board. For example, if you're giving people discounts in an inappropriate way, that will get you into trouble. Billing the insurance companies improperly, billing Medicare, Medicaid improperly will certainly get you into trouble. So, um, yeah, we can absolutely help with that. We see a lot of cases about billing irregularities, and we have um, expert people that we call in, experts in coding that know all that business, and they will uh, do the audits of your reports, and then they give us the information, and we make a report to the board, just like we would do if there was another kind of problem. All right. So what's the difference between AMI monitoring versus investigation? Okay, this is important. AMI does not conduct investigations. Investigation is what the board has staff to do at the beginning. Like when your complaint comes in and they investigate to see if there's any wrongdoing. That's investigating. We don't do it because it would conflict with the independence that we strive to maintain as a company. Okay, so we come in when the board has already decided that there's wrongdoing, that They give you a board order that says you're on probation and that you have to be monitored. And so that's where we come in. The monitoring is part of the probationary term. So to receive corrective monitoring from that point forward until the terms of your probation are satisfied, that's the part that AMI does with you. What other services does AMI offer? Um, Well, they all circle around monitoring because monitoring is what we do. We do do assessments, which is a, sort of an upfront, usually done with licensing. So if the board says, let's say they have a practitioner who hasn't practiced medicine in, say, 10 years, and now they want to come back and practice. Well, the board has to figure out, do you, what do you remember? What do you need extra help in? And so we do an assessment with you to, to tell the board what those areas are. Um, In addition to monitoring that the board dictates, there are also opportunities for volunteer monitoring. So when you get in trouble with the board, most people get an attorney. And a lot of the times you will be in a situation where the board has said, okay, we're going to do public discipline. But, you know, we're between probation, but that doesn't sound like it's good enough. And then the next step would be suspension. 
And this is an opportunity for you and your attorney to jump in there and say, oh, but we would be happy to do monitoring. That way the board has that extra assurance of public safety and they know that you're making the changes that you're supposed to make and we report it back to the board. So um, a lot of times it's you and your attorney at the time that the board order is, is negotiated, let's say, that you can talk about monitoring to protect yourself. All right. Well, what are the goals for successful monitoring? <laughs> okay, we have a lot of goals for you. You know, a lot of people come in thinking that monitoring is punitive, that the board just wants to, you know, put you to the screws, and that's not the way we look at it at all, okay? We look at monitoring as an opportunity to learn, to get better at your craft, to improve patient care, to improve your documentation, okay? If you follow our monitor and ours recommendation, you will be back in compliance, you will have established a support system for continued compliance. And the bottom line is it allows you to keep practicing medicine. The board controls your license. If you want to practice medicine in your state, these are the things that they want you to do. You have to do them. And so we're happy to work with people. We answer questions all the time. We're happy to do it. We give explanations along the way. We work closely with your board staff to get the patient records that we need. I mean, we try to make this as painless as possible for you. But the bottom line is it allows you to keep practicing medicine. That's our goal for you for successful monitoring. Are there any other questions, Val? Not at this time. I think that's all we have time for today. Oh, great. So thanks, you guys, so much for listening. We really appreciate it, and we hope that this has shown a little light on the topic of monitoring and how it all kind of works behind the scenes so that you're not either scared of it or mad about it, but that it really can be a positive tool to use to get you back in the good graces of the board, right? Because that's what we all want. Thanks, Deanne. This was great. I'm sure our practitioners will find this helpful. Thanks, Val. I appreciate it. So uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining Affiliated Monitor's podcast, Integrity Through Compliance, AMI's Business Success Series. Today's segment is just a sample of the subject matter expertise captured by AMI's compliance professionals. Go to our website at www.affiliatedmonitors.com to view the comprehensive list of industry and in-house talent AMI has available to enhance professional and business integrity programs and controls. Also connect with us on LinkedIn to receive updates and trends in the areas of enforcement and compliance. If you have any questions about today's podcast or would like to learn more, please contact us at podcasts at affiliatedmonitors.com. Our Affiliated Monitors podcast production team of Dolores Syed, our compliance associate, and Dan Barton, our editor and podcast music composer, look forward to you joining us again for our next installment of Integrity Through Compliance, AMI's Business Success Series. <laughs>